<laughs> this is the team that was supposed to be a Stanley Cup contender, and you lost to the Kraken. And it, it just doesn't seem that a, a playoff push is very feasible at this point. I'm also not convinced that Lou's going to give up the ghost on this season. I will say this and then duck because stuff's going to be thrown at me through the computer. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 126. And this is going to be somewhat of an off-the-cuff episode since my uh, my pod prep for this was uh, going to the supermarket and buying some spreading salt for the incoming ice storm and also uh, getting a CT scan to see if my uh, ticker is okay. And uh, uh, certainly hoping all is good. And uh, on this episode, we're going to try and uh, delve into essentially the first half of the Islanders season, which ended with Wednesday's night's discouraging, disappointing, lifeless, whatever kind of negative adjective you want to use, a uh, 3-0 loss to the expansion, expansion Seattle Kraken to wrap up a stretch of 14 of 15 at UBS Arena. And the Islanders go into the All-Star break. And when they come back, they're going to be playing nine of 11 on the road. And for them to get back into the playoff push, a lot of things are going to have to fall into place. And to discuss all of that, and we have them for the whole episode, so I'm, I'm very excited about that. I bring in uh, Newsday's fine columnist and uh, a great friend, Neil Best. Neil, how are you doing? You know, uh, this time of year, I admit I don't get to watch every Islanders game because I have a lot of other, you know, duties. But but knowing I was going to be on here, I did watch the Kraken game, figuring, all right, you know, they'll take care of business and I'll give us some wishy-washy thing about how things are, you know, not great, but at least they've won some games they had to win, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it didn't work out that way. Um, <laughs> I, 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 like, I, I guess I actually have more opinions, just like the fans do, than I thought I would, just like Barry Trotz does. Than, than, than I thought I would when I started watching them against the lowly Kraken. I mean, wow. I mean, not good for the Islanders, but good for podcast material, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and before we delve into the negative, and I feel like this podcast episode is going to be a whole lot of layers of negativity, uh, like a negative onion being peeled back here. Uh I just want to get, because you were not at the arena, you were at home watching on TV. Just what was it like hearing Jiggs on the call again? Jiggs McDonald filled in for Brendan Burke, who had some uh, national duties on uh, Wednesday. And uh, just how good was it to hear Jiggs's voice again? I mean, obviously, it's cool for those of us old enough to remember, you know, him and his prime. And, you know, he's it was actually the most interesting thing to me was the the conversational style he adopted. He was maybe because it was such a terrible game. There were a lot of times he just sort of started talking about other things and chatting with Butch. And sometimes Butch would jump in with play by play. So it was definitely a different vibe than the the normal uh, not only the normal with Brendan, but normal with Jiggs McDonald 40 years ago. But there's no question that just hearing that voice obviously makes anyone who watched the Islanders back in the day kind of re- recall that that era and I suppose our own youths. So it was very, it was very cool. Yeah, yeah, no, it's always good seeing Jiggs in the building. He's, he's such a nice man and he has such a 
like you said, I mean, whenever you hear your voice, it uh, hear Jiggs McDonald's voice, it just brings up certain emotions and certain memories. And, uh, you know, uh, Jiggs is still going strong at, uh, I believe he's 83. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm not suggesting, you know, he's a, he's an oldies act here or a nostalgia act, but, you know, for, for him being the voice of the Islanders for, for most of that great period and certainly for 15 years, uh, you know, and, and just him being the wonderful man he is, it's always good and nothing against Brendan, who's, who I think we all acknowledge has become one of the two or three best hockey announcers in, in the U.S., but uh, always good to hear Jigs. So, well, that, 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 that was one kind of nice, you know, an added nice thing about having a guy like Jigs come back is that the guy who's currently in place is so popular that it's not as if fans are going, oh, wow, I can't, you know, why can't it be like back in the old days with Jigs? Well, no, you, it's the best of both worlds. You have the nostalgia of Jigs, but it's sort of understood that Islanders fans have one of the best of, of the current generation. I thought Brendan tweeted out something. Uh, really interesting during the game last night, the list of broadcasters who have done both the <laughs> California Golden Seals game and a, uh, and a uh, Seattle Kraken game. And uh, uh, Jigs is one of two. <laughs> yeah, that's, I was surprised there's more than one member of the club. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that, that's pretty much the positive that came out. Oh, okay. we're, done, we're done with the happy stuff. Good. That okay. is it for the happy stuff. So in my Newsday article, uh, which you can find on newsday.com backslash aisles, as you can all your Islanders content from Newsday, including back episodes of this podcast, I included this stat in my game story that entering Wednesday, the Islanders per hockeyreference.com had a 6.2% chance of reaching the playoffs for a fourth straight year under coach Barry Trotz and GM Lou Lamarillo. And uh, just uh, just before we started recording, I, I went back to Hockey Reference to see the updated number after the three nothing loss to the Kraken, and, and we'll get into you know just what made that such a discouraging loss. But uh, the chances of making the playoffs again per HockeyReference.com are now down to four point nine percent, and. I got to say that sort of feels like reality right now that this is a team that's 17 points out of a playoff position has done nothing with its games in hand is going into the all-star break. Having lost four of six in regulation, 14 of their 16 wins so far out of the 39 games have come against teams who are not in a playoff position, meaning the Islanders have struggled mightily against teams in playoff positions with only two wins uh, against those. That that includes three straight losses, the last being to the Minnesota Wild on Sunday. As good as the Islanders did play in that game, they still lost 4-3, and that drops them to 2-13-3 against teams in playoff position and and the the islanders schedule gets tougher and tougher and tougher and i'll read to you in a little bit how they end the season in april and it it just doesn't seem that a a playoff push is very feasible at this point and again you know 
you you have some thoughts coming out of that Seattle Kraken game. So uh, why don't we start there with what you saw? Well, I mean, look, the, the most discouraging thing, if you're the Islanders, is, you know, for most of this season, they've had very legitimate excuses with the endless road trip. And then half the team being on because of COVID, you lose one of your best defensemen. I mean, there's all this stuff going on that was completely understandable why you would have some issues, but you, you watched them last night would pull it back and basically, okay, this is their team. This is every, this is basically, this is the team that was supposed to be a Stanley cup contender and you lost to the Kraken. So as much as you can, um, they, they deserved a lot of slack for a lot of this season uh, for what they were dealing with. That's gone. Like, that's like, okay, well now what's the problem? Like the, the, now this is what you are. That That's the most troubling thing of all. I agree with you that the the excuses are uh, not that the Islanders should be saved by excuses, but you can, like you say, give them a little bit of slack for just all the postponements, them playing one game in 10 days and then one game in seven days and a 13 game road trip to start the season. And even playing 14 of 15 at home becomes more of a disadvantage than an advantage. They they've played four road games since this building opened in November 20th. And, and that's totally taking these players out of their rhythm uh, of what they're used to. And I agree you, none of that seems valid at this point. Um, they, they've lost four of six going into the all-star break. They, they, they discussed amongst themselves how this Kraken game was a must win for them and how desperately they needed the two points, how desperately they needed to build something off a, a, a pretty good showing, a 4-1 win against the Ottawa Senators the night before. The Kraken had also played the night before, losing 3-2 in Boston, so both teams were on equal footing. In fact, the Kraken... <sighs> they should have been the one with the tired legs and maybe, you know, let's just get this over with and get home because they still had to fly cross country to start their all-star break. And, and they got back into uh, for some reason, this team stayed in Manhattan after flying back from Boston and well, you know, traffic from Boston, from Manhattan out to UBS arena is not good. And the Kraken got to the arena pretty late and sort of rushed <laughs> rushed their pregame, and they still had much more life than the Islanders. And I thought that was the most discouraging thing about the whole game was just how the Islanders generated nothing. And even going into the third period, 0-0, they didn't get their 10th shot until 13-23 of the second period. But that, yeah, but that's actually, you know, look, we know this is hockey, the most random of the major sports, really. I mean, you could have lost to the Kraken on some fluky goal and you have played them, but it's a tough loss, you know, et cetera. No, this was like they were, you know, the Kraken, the Kraken was the better team, period, which makes it even worse than if you just had, a, you know, an unlucky loss. You know, they, they had a very well-earned loss uh, to, to a, you know, to an expansion team, obviously. Uh, you know, this maybe I'm giving a preview of a column I'll have to write in April. But you know, the big picture to me of this, where what's going on here, we, we all kind of knew this team had a window. We all knew they were on the older side. We all knew they weren't this dynamic, high-scoring, high-flying team like or the Wild or whatever. Uh, but the idea was they they still had what they their formula in place 
to be good this year and maybe another year or two, whatever, before that window closed and they had a retool, uh, which is, you know, just as part of the normal uh, process. The fact that all of that seems to have accelerated here abruptly is what's really troubling. Like, yeah, they, they look old and slow, which is what they should have been two years from now, not now. So that, that's, that's something Lou Lamorello has got to really ponder here about what to do next. Yeah. And I, I know, you know, people are the knee jerk reaction is, well, yeah, they look old because you bring in 44 year old Zdeno Chara and you have 39 year old Andy Green and you, you sign 37 year old Zach Parisi. But I would argue, uh, aside from Zdeno Chara's, you know, not, not that he was ever the most mobile defenseman, but he's obviously lost some mobility at age 44. Chara has not been the problem defensively uh, uh, of late. Uh, he's, and, and for that matter, really, neither is Andy Green. And I would say Zach Parisi is one of the Islanders' most consistent forwards of late. But what, what's making them old or, or certainly look old uh, is that they've gotten absolutely nothing out of Kyle Palmieri. And that's the first year of a four-year, $20 million deal. One goal, six assists. You can call him snake bit, but his shots have not been placed well. Um, shooting right into goalie's chests and, and nothing's coming from Palms. Matthew Barzell of late has sort of been a turnover machine. You go through it, uh, you know, Brock Nelson has been okay. He didn't have, I mean, you can't really single out individual players for for bad games against Seattle because the whole team was so bad but but Brock was not an impactful player against the Kraken and they need him to be so uh, it, it's just up and down the lineup and, and what makes them look really old is they do not transport them at all very well out of their defensive zone and through the neutral zone that's remnants of trading away Nick Letty and Devon Tays. And again, uh, Lou Lamarillo felt, and uh, I think there are strong arguments to support his case, that the, those were the necessary moves for salary cap reasons. But on the ice, Noah Dobson is legitimately the lone defenseman at this point, especially with Pulak coming back and Robo, Robin Sallow now out of the lineup. Really... Dobson is the, is the best skating defenseman uh, in terms of getting the puck up ice. And he's, you know, you're rotating three pairs. And it's just not enough. They look slow and old because they don't move the puck well. I, I you know, look, I, I understand the style that Lou Lamorello and Barry Trotz are known for. And they've shown they can win with that. That's fine. But on Friday night, you and I watched another New York-based team play against the Wild. And, and for the first period, they're skating up and down in the ice, playing like a different sport than the Islanders are playing. Now, that doesn't always translate to wins. I understand it. But, but watching the Rangers and Wild play Friday night was like, wow, okay, this, this looks different <laughs> than an Islanders game. And, and again, there's different ways to win, but you need some of that in your mix to, to succeed, I think. So the Islanders continue to be missing that, that element, the speed and dynamic uh, scoring, whatever you want to call it, that we've been talking about for years, really. Yeah, and, and <laughs> you sort of blew my cover there. I had been conspicuously 
Andrew, you, your byline was in the paper. They I know, but I just I, I just figure no Islander fan is going to read a Ranger story, so I was hoping everyone would just skip over that. Yeah, I was. Oh, you, that. you were doing your job. You were assigned. You you did your job. Your job is not only covering Islanders games. You're a versatile sports journalist. Yes, I am an NHL writer, and yes, I was at the Garden on, on Friday night for Henrik Lundqvist's retirement ceremony. But Neil is right, and the discussion amongst those in the in the press box at Madison Square Garden, who have been both at, uh, seen the Rangers and the and particularly the Wild, who I, I got to say the Wild are legit Stanley Cup contenders. Uh, they they play a fantastic game, and you know the Islanders. I get what Barry Trotz was saying that in that the way the Islanders played in that four, three loss to the wild was actually encouraging because they outchanced him. They outshot him. They took a season high against the, the wild and the, and the wild are, are, are probably one of the, you know, five or six best teams in the NHL at this point. Um, but, but watching and discussion in the press box at Madison Square Garden on Friday night was, uh, you know, comparing the way the Wild and the Rangers were playing to the way the Islanders had been playing in terms of speed. It was sort of like watching uh, an NHL game compared to, you know, maybe a, a college game or an AHL game in terms of the speed of the game. And, and the Islanders just, they're, they're not going to get any traction until they start playing quicker and that doesn't mean importing you know seven faster skaters it means connecting on their passes it means breaking out of the defensive zone with efficiency it means navigating through the uh the the, the neutral zone without turning the puck over with regularity and uh i'm not convinced that those are issues that the islanders are going to be able to solve or resolve very quickly here well, no. Well, you can't resolve it quickly. I mean, but you know, the hope would be that with the existing players and with some tweaks that Lou might have in mind, I don't know what they are, that you could, you can, you know, be better. But as far as, there's not going to be any radical changes here uh, in the short term, because that's not really feasible. I, I don't, I assume if we're noticing him, Lou is. Oh, he knows uh, more about hockey than us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as we've discussed uh, previously, Lou Lamarillo is not a GM since he has come into the league in 1987, which is a while back. Uh, I believe I, I, I know I was still not only was I still in college in 87, I wasn't even close to being an upperclassman in 87. So Lou, Lou's been in the league for a while here. He is not a general manager that has ever believed in a rebuild. Um, he does not believe in tearing things down and taking a year or two off to build it back up. You know, you, you might look at the March 21st trade deadline as well. Lou's just got to trade off assets here and, uh, you know, maybe go for next season. But I, I'm also not convinced that Lou's going to give up the ghost on this season. Uh, I mean, if he does if the organization does decide at any point that the best move is to maybe trade some assets, uh, you know, Cal Clutterbuck is certainly in the last season of his deal. And 
you know, I, I'm not convinced that, you know, even if they don't trade him, that they're looking to resign Cal Clutterbuck at this point, even though on that identity line, which, you know, has not had a consistent season at all, Cal Clutterbuck's been the most consistent of the three between Matt Martin and Casey Sezekis. And Matt Martin was talking the other day, obviously he had the off season ankle surgery, missed the preseason and he's been held out of some games here and there as coach Barry Trotz said, it was a lingering issue, but uh, Matt Martin said the other day that he feels his game is finally back to a hundred percent. So, you know, maybe Matt can have a stronger second half of the season, but as a whole, that identity line just is not, set the forecheck as it has through those successful playoff runs. And it, it, it hasn't tilted the scales enough towards the Islanders and allowed them to uh, send wave after wave of, of lines at the opposition. Um, so, you know, uh, Cal Clutterbuck might be one of the guys the Islanders would consider trading. You know, ja- Jakob Skorek, uh, the, the the goalie for Bridgeport in the AHL was just named the AHL goalie of the month. I I I don't believe that the brain trust with the Islanders feel that Skarek is ready to make the jump to the NHL quite yet. But if Skarek is, do you consider trading Semyon Varlamov to a team that needs a goalie down the stretch? Because it's trending towards Ilya Sorokin being the number one goalie here. Uh, and, and, you know, it, that was always the hope once Ilya Sorokin came over from the KHL, but that time seems to have arrived. And if Simeon Varlamov is only going to be a, a goalie who's not being alternated, but is playing, you know, maybe every, you know, third or fourth game, can you afford to spend five million under your salary cap on that? But you also have to factor in his what is he thirty three or thirty four? I, I mean, there's so many pieces of this team are in their early you know early thirties, which doesn't mean you're finished as a hockey player, obviously. Yeah. But it does mean that you know again we go back to the window thing. Like if Lou decides, yeah, we're not going to be in the playoffs this year. Uh, yeah, of course he should be thinking about trading off some of these pieces. doesn't mean you're giving up and thinking we're going to be a terrible team next year, but you know, he's got to think of the longer, I, I assume he wants to think of the longer term. The, the other weird sort of subplot though, in terms of how you handle being out of it is yeah, fine. They got the arena built, they got the tickets sold, but you know, you, you still have this excitement over this new arena. They had a, Right after one of the cracking goals last night, they run on MSG. They run the ad for you know buying season tickets for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the timing of this is not awesome. Uh, They've been they've been doing that in arena also, and that's been the same reaction. Like, oh, oh, bad. Okay, but 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 of course that's just that is a fact of life. Is that you have to sell these season tickets for next year, and and obviously you don't want to send the message that. You know, let's say they are, you know, legitimately out of it a month from now. When, when did you say the trade deadline was, by the way? March 21st. Okay, fine. fine. So plenty of time. So, you know, let's say you decide you're legitimately out of it. You have to still be able to sell, you know, short-term. You, you have to be able to sell fans on, look, this year was quirky and weird and it just didn't work out. And, you know, we're going to take some steps to improve. But you, the last thing you want to message you want to send is a rebuild. I mean, the Rangers got away with that. 
They've had a history of selling that place out and they said, we're rebuilding period, which they did over like what, three years. Uh, it's hard to imagine the Islanders publicly announcing. No, no. <laughs> we're we're I mean, rebuilding. They're... That's not happening. I mean, they don't even tell us who's called up and who's sent down and who's on the taxi squad for the most part. Um, yeah, no, uh, that, 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 that's certainly a, a reasonable point as to, you know, selling. And I, I, I thought a little bit of a, it wasn't surprising, but a little bit troubling for the Islanders is uh, not the Seattle Kraken game. That was again announced as a, uh, a sellout um, of 17255. But remember that Seattle Kraken game was a makeup of a Saturday afternoon game where uh, they sold a lot of tickets to kids. Um, so that, that, that Kraken game on Wednesday night was announced as a sellout. It, it, the building certainly was not packed. Uh, a lot of people just could not switch their plans. So it was not a packed building by any means for Wednesday night. But the two previous games, um, neither of them were announced as a sellout. And those are the first two games at UBS Arena. And now they've played uh, uh, 22 home games, which is it's amazing. This team started the season with 13 games on the road and has now played 22 at home and just 17 on the road. Uh, they were at uh, 15-2-5-8. Uh, for the game against the Senators on Tuesday night, and they were at 15-518 for the 4-3 win over the uh, Wild on Sunday. Um, so that, that that's something the organization does have to be, you know, I, I would think a little bit concerned of is that, that the, the sellout streak is already over at their at their new building. Yeah, well, that's uh, you know, again, we all realize the Islanders, even with this nice new arena. Um, they have less margin for error in terms of selling tickets than a lot of other franchises do. And they have to stay good to fill that building year after year. I mean, the, yeah, the initial, the novelties worn off and um, they're still in a better position arena wise than they've been ever been in, I guess. And when they're, when the train actually goes in two directions next season, that'll be an attraction <laughs> that doesn't currently exist because I've taken the train. I've still never driven to a game there. I've taken the train which is great on the way out, but yeah, most trains go in two directions, but the one to UBS arena does not uh, next year. It will. Yeah. And, and, and the parking garage should be open. Parking garage will be a huge help. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and if they uh, widen the cross Island parkway to eight lanes in each direction, that it will be still be <laughs> an absolute disaster to drive. <laughs> yeah. But the, uh, I'm a big train guy. So I, I really, I am looking forward to that option existing next year more so. And I'm sure a lot of fans are too. Um, but yeah, no, they have, they can't rebuild. I mean, they have to, plus Lou is whatever. I mean, I know Lou doesn't acknowledge age and I, I have no doubt he's going to live to 120 and work till he's 115. Uh, however, he still is whatever he is, 79 years old. I mean, it's, you know, he's, I assume he wants to win a Stanley cup before he retires and, you know, not start over again. Yes, no, I, I agree. And, you know, just looking forward, you know, we, we can talk about the pieces that Lou could trade off, but next season you're looking at much of the same team now you know Dano Chara I would sort of doubt he comes back next season uh, I I'm not sure that they bring back an Andy Green 
wouldn't shock me if they bring back Zach Parisi on another one-year deal, but that most of this team is signed. Casey Sezikis is signed. Jean-Gabriel Pajot is signed. Uh, Brock Nelson is signed. Anders Lee is signed. Uh, Scott Mayfield has one more year on his deal. Uh, Anthony Beauvillier is signed. Matt Martin signed. Uh, Barzell is signed. Josh Bailey is signed. Uh, Ryan Pulak and Adam Pellick are both signed. You're going to see a lot of the same faces again next season. And, and that's where Lou has to work in the margins because, and the other thing he has to consider when, you know, if he does go the trade route is the, 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 the people at Bridgeport that he was going to bring up are, are for the most part here uh, in Robin Sallow uh, who was on the taxi squad is probably headed back to Bridgeport. Um, but Robin Sallow is up for a long time. Oliver Wallstrom is here. Kiefer Bellows is here. And, uh, you know, until they determine that perhaps Simon Holmstrom is NHL ready, if and when that happens, and if and when they determine Atu Rati is ready, there, there's, there's not an overflowing of NHL prospects at Bridgeport either. And that's something that uh, Lou has to consider in terms of restocking the cupboard and whether, you know, so he's got to work in the margins and get this team better, but he also has to improve the organization. And that's going to be tough to do with limited assets to trade, really. Yeah, I mean, all those guys you mentioned, those veterans are under contract. You know, they're all good players and they're all can obviously, well, they've proven they can be pieces of a championship caliber kind of team. But, you know, as we talked about ad nauseum during the playoffs, this team somehow got within one game of the Stanley Cup finals with Leo Komarov on the first line, much as I was opposed to that at the time. Um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, I, I, you know, whether it's Leo or whatever they're trying there now, it's like, wow, you just wonder what that one, you know, stud sniper would look like and what that, how that would work with Barzell, who they keep, you know, admitting how, you know, quote unquote unique of a player he is to play with and the challenges that, that, that his style brings, but, you know, we haven't seen him play with a superstar goal scoring type. Uh, and I would be intrigued to see what that looks like, but right. it's not, it's just not, they have a lot of good, they have a lot of good, all these guys, Nelson, Bailey, Lee, I mean, these are all good players, but they still um, don't have that. I'm not going to say any names from uh, the, the, other team because I'll tick off the Islanders. So um, it, it's just, they don't have, you know, the, the elite goal scorer kind of guy. Yeah. And, and that's where the fans frustration is with, you know, they, they, they think that the, the fans assessment is that this organization might have one in Oliver Wallstrom. Um, but, but, <laughs> but Barry Trotz is, is not so far, entrusted Wallstrom to play with Barzell and it doesn't seem like that's going to happen uh in the near future and and again we've you know without being a Barry Trotz apologist a lot of that has to do with all the stuff Oliver Wallstrom does that does not include shooting the puck it has to do with uh, defensive 
uh, defensive play. It has to do with uh, his passing, not turning the puck over, uh, his play in the defensive zone. Um, It has to do with keeping his mind engaged uh, on all shifts. Um, And sometimes... The, the plain eye, the non-expert eye, such as I can see that in his game. And sometimes it's stuff that you need a coach's eye to see. But that that is the determination right now. Because if 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 Wallstrom is going to play with Barzell, then you're you're typically playing against the other team's top line. And if if the assessment is that Wallstrom is a defensive liability still, then you know. Is, is is your top line, is the Matthew Barzell top line going to spend more time in the offensive zone or in the defensive zone? Uh, so, you know, again, that is the explanation, uh, which I am laying forth. But I, I know Islander fandom believes that that goal scorer that Barzell desperately needs is on the roster right now. Well, no, wait a minute. I, I have no problem with fans getting frustration, wanting to see more of Wallstrom. That's a fine, debatable point. I get it. I'd kind of like to see more of him too. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, Wallstrom and Barzell, I don't think are Dreisaitl and McDavid. I mean, it, it's like, <laughs> I, mean I'm, I mean, yes, Wallstrom might be able to help what we're talking about. Maybe fans will be right. Maybe he'll improve the areas that, that bother his coach. That's all, that's all fine and good, but I mean, you know, I don't think Oliver Wallstrom is a superstar. He's just a guy who, yeah, who could, who should be able to help. Yes. And, you know, for, for context in the playoffs, uh, the fans were losing their minds that Kyle Palmieri was not playing on Matthew Barzell's top line. And now the reaction seems to want to be Kyle Palmieri not to dress for any game. So, you know, the pendulum. All, 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 all I asked for in the playoffs was no Leo. That's all. I just oh, Leo that, you, got, you got him banished back to the I know. Show. Uh, well, a little too late. But again, I have nothing personally against Leo. <laughs> and think he's a, he was a useful player, just not on the top line. That's all I was saying at the time. I don't <laughs> want to get Leo mad at me. But um, I guess I was proven right because that was the last. So game seven of the conference of the semifinals was was the end of the road. I mean, it's amazing it got that far. But by the way, um, is it true you are heading to Beijing to cover Leo Komarov in the Olympics? Leo and I are very tight and uh, he was hoping I would be there for him. But, you know, the, 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 the COVID restrictions were just too much. Newsday didn't want to lose me in case there was an important radio rating story that came up that they needed me to cover. <laughs> So I can't I can't leave my off my home office and go to Beijing at this time. No, well that that's a shame. I know that would have been an emotional, heartfelt reunion between the two of you. Back to uh, some Islanders here with some of your questions for Andrew's answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's answers. And again, as I, I said at the top, this is going to be. Uh, a little bit off the cuff because unlike uh, some other weeks where I actually take a peek at some of the questions beforehand, just uh, to try and sound semi-educated, I am literally just logging on to Twitter now and I'm going to read some stuff out. And uh, if Neil wants to chime in, he is more than welcome. 
and uh, I'll get to as many as I can over the next, uh, let's call it about 10 minutes or so. And uh, so again, thank you for everyone uh, sending in your questions. And we will start out with Matt, professional contrarian or not, says, assume the Islanders work their quote unquote comeback magic. How likely is it for teams in front, uh, say Boston, will quote-unquote help the cause. Many national media are pretty much writing the Islanders off like the past two seasons. The difference is a full 82-game schedule might benefit a comeback in uh, Matt, professional contrarian or not. I will answer simply that I agree with you. The Islanders still have a lot of runway here. They got 43 games left. Uh, that's going to be played over 80 games, so that's going to be condensed. However, I, I, I mean, the Islanders are going to need help from teams in front and the teams in front, to be honest, I don't see any of them really slipping. The Rangers might be the one team that could slip the most, but the Penguins, Capitals, Hurricanes are, are really, really good teams. I don't see any of them slipping. The Rangers uh, every time they look like they're slipping, they come back with a good game. And the, and the Bruins uh, at, at times have looked like one of the better teams in the league. And I think Tuka Rask just gets better and better as the season goes on. Yes, it's an 82-game schedule. The Islanders have to help themselves because they have to beat teams in the playoff positions. Again, they've only won two against uh, teams in a playoff spot going into the All-Star break. And uh, that, that's what, what did I say earlier in the broadcast? 2-13-2. and two, They've been outscored by about 30 goals in that game. And let me just read off to you the Islanders' April schedule. This is how they're going to end the season. Um, and you tell me if the Islanders are still in it come April 1st, how feasible it is to think that they're going to not run the table, but get enough points to overcome this 17 point deficit right now. April 1st, we start at Madison Square Garden against the Rangers. Then uh, April 3rd, they play at the Devils. On April 5th, they're at Dallas against a, a, a very good Dallas Stars team. On April 8th, they go back to Carolina. They got absolutely run in their season opener at Carolina on April 9th. It's a back-to-back -back. they're at St. Louis. Then they host Pittsburgh on April 12th. They're at Pittsburgh on April 14th. They're at Montreal in a makeup game or uh, on April 15th. Uh, then they go to Toronto on April 17th. The Maple Leafs are, are not a team that's falling out of, of a playoff spot. I, I don't see the blues doing that either. Uh, and then you face on April 19th, the Florida Panthers, who could be the Stanley Cup favorites at this point. You got another game hosting the Rangers on the 21st. You're at Buffalo on April 23rd. Then you got the Carolina Hurricanes in your building on the 24th, a, a tough back to back. You go to Washington on April 26th, and then you end the season with back-to-backs against the Capitals and the two-time Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning on April 29th. Neil, any thoughts on that schedule? Oh, it's, it's a challenging schedule. However, to, to our last questioner's point, 
last night after the loss, and I'm seeing the, you know, the gloom and doom, understandably, from Miles' Twitter, I was like, oh, all right, just uh, let me see how many games are left. <laughs> and it, it is amazing the way we're talking about this team when they've played 39 games, 39, I believe, but if my math is correct, at least 43. Yep. So it's, it's far from impossible to see a turnaround, even though I would not bet the house on that. No, I mean, and you would, you'd get good, good return on your bet if you bet them to go to the playoffs. Again, uh, hockeyreference.com, and I think this is, uh, uh, you know, there are different numbers based on different formulas. Hockeyreference.com has the Islanders after losing to the Kraken 3-0. Again, the most discouraging loss of the season, in my humble opinion. Um, the, the, the Islanders have a 4.9% chance of making the playoffs per hockeyreference.com. And I think that's a very legit uh, number as to where they stand, even though they've only played 39 and they have more than half the season to play at this point. Uh, I got two questions here. I'm going to uh read together um adam p says what can you possibly expand upon when the coach shrugs off your questions about oliver wallstrom as i don't know what you're talking about or when he says uh ticked off uh, my next question would be good then what what's the next course of action and andy hicks says uh, referencing Barry's response to you last week, do reporters get frustrated when interviewing seem to take a jab at them, or is it just part of the job? It was a valid question that your readers wanted to ask. Uh, Barry seems to be good with the press, but that seemed out of character. And let me just, uh, there are a couple of things there. Yes, Barry Trotz, as Neil will agree, is, is not just good with the press. He is one of the best and most accommodating and uh, easiest coaches to work with, if not the easiest I've had in my career, my appreciation for how Barry does treat us is off the charts. I, I have no issues with Barry Trotz. He, he's one of the, the most, uh, just one of the most, sol most solid human beings I, I've run across uh, in, in this profession. So I, I have no issues with Barry. Um, Barry very rarely uh, gets frustrated with questions. I, he was frustrated with my question, which uh, was just simply, you know, Oliver Wallstrom scores a power play goal to bring the Islanders within 4-3 of the wild with Four minutes to play on the nose, uh, that 4-3 loss. The Islanders go to a six-on-five, and, and Oliver was not on the ice for the last four minutes. In my opinion, Oliver Wallstrom has the best shot on the team, probably him and Ryan Pulak, um, who, who was not available for that game. Um, and, and my question simply was, you know, wouldn't you know, why wouldn't Oliver Wallstrom be out there uh, with, with that shot? And again, it was curiosity. I wasn't really trying to hold Barry's feet to the fire. And, and Neil, as we discussed, in, in normal times, uh, and by normal, I mean non-Zoom times, that wouldn't even be a question I would ask for public consumption where everyone can watch the press conference. That's more of a question, you know, as the scrum breaks up and, and Barry's walking away, 
you, you kind of approach him and say, you know, hey, what was your thinking here? You know, just explain it to me because here's what I thought. And Barry is very good at that. But in the Zoom uh, context, I, I think Barry, look, it was a frustrating loss because of how well the Islanders played that game. They didn't get any points. They're desperate for points. I, I get Barry's frustration. Um, I'm going to give him all the slack in the world on that. And look, do reporters get frustrated with interviewees seem to take a jab at them or is it just part of the job? Yeah, it's absolutely part of the job. If you don't have a thick skin, you shouldn't be in this business. I, I, I took no offense to it at all. As I think I've answered Adam P's questions as, as well as to what happened there. Again, I, I have no issues with, with Barry Trotz on that. I was simply looking for an answer. He was not willing or, you know, he didn't want to give one there. And that's where it lay. Neil, any, I know you were not part of that. I was just, you have anything as a journalist or sports writer to add there? No, I, I agree about everything you said about Barry. And I agree that if you're a journalist who gets upset when people get upset with you, then you shouldn't be, that you should find another line of work. Um, you know, I guess all I would say is now that the Islanders COVID uh, uh, problems seem to have gone away for the moment, uh, it might be a good time for Lou to go back to in-person interviews like the Islanders did have at the beginning of the season. Because it's just different, even if we're not in the locker room, which is the ideal, the, the uh, in-person uh, dynamic is, is just different. And I've seen that because I cover all these teams in a variety of different methods and the Jets, Giants, Rangers, Knicks, it's all in person and it's just different. It's more seems more like normal time. So I, I would encourage, I, it was understandable the Islander, when the Islanders went back to Zoom when they did, but it might now be time to go back at some point soon Maybe after the Canada trip, uh, it, might be, it might be a good to go back to the regular system. Jack Anton asks, uh, Barry Trotz and Lou Lamarillo will never publicly admit to conceding the season, but at what point do they switch gear, gears and deal assets for picks and play the young guys in the system for the experience? Uh, first of all, which young guys in the system? I mean, you're really talking about Robin Sallow. Uh, you're talking... You know, Kiefer Bellows, probably, in my opinion, I, I'd like to see him in the lineup a little bit more at this point. Um, are you talking about Simon Holmstrom? Uh, I, are you talking about Samuel Bolduc? Um, Other than that, who are you really talking about? Um, look, they play nine of the next 11 uh, on the road after the All-Star break. I think by March 1st, you're going to have a real good sense of where you are with this team. And I wouldn't wait for the March 21st trade deadline. Uh, let's see. Um, Through the Island podcast also says, are the Islanders far, uh, far enough out for Lou to not just make a competitive trade, but also call up guys like Holmstrom and Bulldog to see where they're at. Uh, an obvious retool is coming. Uh, and again, uh, I, I, I think after you play nine of 11, I think when the calendar flips to March, you're going to have a real strong sense uh, of where you are. DG asks, and I'm trying to get through as many as possible before the sand and the uh, hourglass winds uh, runs out. But DG says, is there a puck moving defenseman on the market who has team control past this year and uh, yes, 
on the Maple Leafs, you got Justin Hole, who's got one more year uh, in at uh, an AAV of two million. Uh, there's been maybe the the Maple Leafs uh, move him. Uh, I would, and he's a right shooter, a right shooting defenseman, which are always tough to come by. Uh, maybe Lou still has some connections in the Maple Leafs that he can work. Uh, I, I would think Justin Hole for one more season after this, uh, maybe that's a fit, um, you know, but I, I don't know if the Maple Leafs are, are looking to deal with the, uh, the Islanders there. Um, and just as, you know, we, we talked earlier about trading Cal Clutterbuck, and I'll tell you the one team where Cal would look, really, you know, would fit in nicely and fill a need for that team. And I will say this and then duck because stuff's going to be thrown at me through the computer. But Cal Clutterbuck is pretty much exactly what the, the Rangers are looking for. But I just do not expect uh, Chris Drury and, and Lou Lamarillo to even contemplate a, a deal like that. Let's see, uh, just flipping through a couple of more. Uh, Andre Minasian says, uh, given the Islanders' performance this season, culminating with the pathetic performance against Kraken, where do you see Lou taking this team? A major retool? If so, I don't think Lou at 79 is cut out to doing so. I think the Islanders' window came and went. Neil, I, I would argue, and we've discussed a lot of this, I don't think the Islanders' window is closed. Uh, Sorokin is still only 26. You, you've got some players who are not at the back end of 30. I, I don't think the window is closed here. No, I, I don't think it's necessarily closed. I, I mean, even if it's closed for this quirky season we're, they've dealt with here, so... Yeah, I, I think it's conceivable they could be good next year. It's hard to imagine the core being good three years from now because, again, they're all in their early 30s, a lot of them are. So, um, yes, I do not think it's a given. The Islanders will not be a contender next season if that's not too many knots in one sentence. <laughs> oh, by the way, the, I was now that it's legal to, to gamble on sports in New York State, um, I was looking at the revised odds for the Stanley Cup, and the Islanders obviously were – among the favorites entering the season. Now I think it's down to 50 to one. So, you know, if you want to take a flyer on the, on the, excuse, pardon the expression. If you want to take a flyer on the Islanders, um, 50 to one, you never know. Do you see that guy who laid down a $20 wager on uh, guessing the final scores of the AFC and NFC championship games? And he nailed both and won about $600,000. See, you never know. Yeah. That's better odds than playing the lottery. So. Yeah, you got to be in it to win it, right? <laughs> um, Magnus asks, uh, any plans for the Islanders in February to highlight, and it is the franchise's 50th anniversary, to highlight the day Bill Torrey was hired as GM, which could be equated as the birth of the New York Islanders. Uh, Magnus, I've heard of nothing specific, but I'm sure that will be mentioned. Um, let's see, John Conti says, do you think, there is any chance of Lou stepping down. And I, I will say this, I don't expect that to happen, but I will say this, if Lou looks at the overall picture and determines in his mind that the Islanders are not going to be competitive next season and maybe the season after that, um, I, maybe, maybe. But you know what? 
Lou, Lou loves what he does. He's in great health. He feels good. Um, I don't think he has any intention of stepping down. Um, and then Mark Dayat says, what do you think the timeline for uh, Barry Trott's extension is? Will it be over the summer or will he wait and see on next year's success? Uh, is there any mulligan on this year based on schedule and COVID outbreak to start this season? And look, there are no mulligans in professional sports. Uh, you know, you can take into account, but no, there are no mulligans. Um, look, I, I think the, the, the timeline for the Barry Trotz extension is either uh, through the end of this season or in the off season. I don't think Barry wants to go into a, a final year of a deal again. Uh, without an extension. He did that in Washington and he sort of twisted in the wind for a full season. Yes, they won the Stanley Cup. Everything worked out well, uh, especially for him because he got a much better deal at the back end of it. But I, I, I don't think he necessarily enjoyed being in that spot. And I think he has the leverage to demand the extension now. And if he's not getting it, you know, is, is it time for him to move on? And, and that, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I, I do think that Barry Trotz maybe gets a three-year extension uh, at some point in the off season. That would be my guess. Um, I, don't, I don't want Barry Trotz to go anywhere, at least until I retire, but, but, you know, people have to keep in mind hockey people, hockey is just a different animal when it comes to coaches compared to you know, some of these other sports where, it's just more common for very successful coaches to move on fairly quickly. And again, I don't want that to happen or I don't think it's going to happen, but it's far from a, an impossibility. Um, let's see. I'm going to one last one. And uh, Neil, again, if you want to chime in, be my guest. Pete Lynch says this team has needed scoring for three years and it's gotten worse. How do they finally add real goal scorers to the lineup? Look, you're going to have to throw, you know, a first round pick out there. You're going to have to throw a prospect into a deal, you know, be it an Aturati, um, you know, or Samuel Bolduck or Robin Sallow. Uh, you might have to give up uh, an Anthony Beauvillier or Scott Mayfield, depending on how elite a goal scorer you're, you're talking about. But you know, you, you don't get something for nothing. You know, any trade the Islanders make, there's going to be good stuff going the other way as well. I think we need to tell uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl about the new two-way uh, train station at Elmont coming next year. <laughs> uh, you know what? I mean, Connor McDavid can afford to build his own railroad. So uh, anyway, Neil. Thank you so much for spending the, the, the full hour with us. It, it's always a pleasure having you on. Um, there's like Saturday Night Live has, what is it called? The, the Five Club for uh, people who have hosted Saturday Night Live five or more times. I think Buck Henry might have been the first to do that. Um, you are leading the pack in Island Ice appearances, and we will have to uh, invent an exclusive club just for you, Neil. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I don't think my playoff appearances should count. It's only regular season. The playoffs is too easy because we do this every day. Oh, well. Well, in that case, no club for you. <laughs> well, I've, I've had plenty of regular season appearances, too. Yes. yes. 
And uh, again, thank you to Neil. Thank you, everyone, uh, for listening. For any Islanders content, please go to newsday.com backslash Isles. Enjoy your all-star break, everyone. And again, congrats to Adam Pellick for his first ever selection as an all-star. Very well-deserved to see a a guy like Adam Pellick uh, recognized amongst the NHL's best. So happy for... uh, Happy for Adam, and I hope he enjoys his trip to uh, to Las Vegas. And the Islanders get back out on the ice uh, with a Western Canada trip starting at Vancouver next Wednesday. And until then, everybody, happy hockey.